Well, welcome everyone. It's so good to be with you again today. My name is Scott Stevens, and I'm the counseling pastor here at West End Baptist Church. Our senior pastor, Marty Price, is on a much-needed and well-deserved vacation with his family, and he's been traveling for a while, so we, we are looking forward to, uh, to him coming back res- uh, uh, rested and refreshed. Now, I want to extend a special welcome to all of you who are visiting with us today. Uh, today we're in our fourth week of a five-week study of James. Have you ever met someone who is truly passionate about something? Now, there are people that are passionate about their jobs, they're passionate about their families, about their school, about a sports team. I can think of one person right now there who's really passionate about one sports team. There you go. There are people who are passionate about politics. And then, thank goodness, we've got people that are passionate about their faith. Passion is not necessarily a bad thing until it affects our heart. I know of a young man who was passionate about becoming a doctor. It was all he thought about when he was growing up. He centered his life around the goal. He studied hard in school, realizing that he had to have fantastic grades to get into medical school. He studied, he realized that, that all of these things that he did during his life would factor into him reaching his desire. The passion started get, to get the best of him, though, whenever he would get a B-plus instead of an A, which I would have been thankful for a B-plus. A dark side of him started to, to come, uh, you could see that it would become, to, uh, become apparent. His entire demeanor would change when something got in the way of his desires. His attitude would become critical of others. He would become very sharp and demanding of other people. Because of his hard work, though, he got into, got into medical school, but that step just took him one step closer to his passion, and his passion became more intense. His expectations of himself were high. He had in his mind that he needed to have certain steps or certain things happen in his life for him to become a successful doctor. And his expectations of those around him were just as intense. He expected uh, this to be from the girl that would be his wife, too. He would expect high, or had ex, high expectations of her. He expected her to be perfect in every way, the perfect doctor's wife. Now, she already worked a full-time job to help him pay for his med school. In addition to that, she took care of their son. And while they were out in the community, she played the role of the happy, happy mother and happy wife. When he graduated from medical school and eventually worked for a prestigious practice, things didn't change. He still had that passion, that desire to make something of himself more than what he was. 
it ended up that his wife and he fought all the time and she could never meet his expectations. Sadly, he eventually left her and their son for someone else. Evidently, this other person was someone who could help him meet his dreams and passions. The wife and child were tossed aside because of his lusts and his unmet passions. The passions that he had were obtained at the cost of his family and probably countless other people who crossed his path. And the worst thing about this was that he claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We all know someone who is passionate about something. Sadly, many people or many are people who want something so badly that they will do or say anything to get what they want. Conflict then is prevalent in that relationship, in those relationships that they have. Sadly, conflict is is prevalent in our society today. There seems to be a number of issues that are at the forefront of our culture and society, and those issues are almost all polarizing. They have created such a passion in our hearts, those that are for and those that are against. Our culture is divided. Just 10 years ago, I could talk about politics with a friend of mine or talk about religion with a friend of mine or friends, and we could leave that conversation. It may be heated, but we could leave the conversation as friends. And that doesn't seem to be the way that it is nowadays. Passions about topics that, that are in our culture are so inflamed now that in most cases, friends are no longer friends, families don't talk to each other. We see that also in the church. It's a shame that we see conflicts between brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's usually just because of some simple disagreement or something that has happened. And these are issues that come up that we just don't talk about. We don't go through the steps that are necessary to make sure that the conflict is, is resolved. Today, we'll read in James about what he has to say about quarrels and fighting. And then we'll look at what the Word of God has to tell us about what we should do to live in peace with one another. Now, our scripture reference for today's sermon is James 4, 1 through 3, and then 7 and 8, 10 and 17. Okay, that's going to be hard for you to look at all at once. So look at uh, the screen behind us or follow in the Bible as we read. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father God, you give us your word so that we can understand you. We can understand the story that you give us about you, about your son, and about us. Father, you give us a way to understand how we're to love you and then how we're to love other people. And as we love other people, we resolve conflict in a way that shows caring, that shows love. And I pray that your word today that we'll take to heart those lessons that we need to learn to be at peace with one another. Father, open our hearts. Give us that wisdom and discernment. Give us that ability to be able to glorify you. And Father, I pray that, uh, that you give me the ability to be able to speak well and to think well today as we share this message. Thank you for your mercy and for your goodness, and thank you for your Son, whose name I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I'm counseling a married couple particularly, I'm usually acting as a mediator between the two. And it's usually regarding some sort of disagreement that they have. Now, at times, these can be serious. Many times, though, there's just simple things that that they have a disagreement about, not really big issues. But all of these issues usually have a root in one or both persons acting sinfully. Now, the, the issue itself is usually not necessarily a sinful issue, but the reactions that they have are sinful. Usually miscommunication, misunderstanding, or selfishness usually drive, I mean, that drives the quarrel, and it stands between continued quarreling and fighting or a productive resolution. Now, the person refusing to communicate, refusing to understand, or who is acting selfishly, that's the one who is acting, acting sinfully too. And this could be just the one person, or it could be both people. And when this, occur, when it, when this occurs in the counseling, one of the things that I have to do is look at their actions and help them to understand that it has to be evaluated using God's Word. God's Word gives us the ability to be able to understand and how to relate to one another in a way that shows love for each other. And the Bible explains how we oftentimes act out of selfishness and how that selfishness affects the relationship that we have with the other person. When we have a poor relationship with another believer, when we're angry, when we hate, when we tear down and belittle and when we refuse to forgive and when we choose to remain bitter, we act in ways that hurt that relationship with another person, but it also hurts our relationship with God. When we refuse to act in a way that shows love and concern for another person, as God commands, we are actively rebelling against God and his command to love one another. We all know this. What is God's greatest commandment? 
to love him with all of our heart, with all of our minds, with all of our soul, with all of our being. But then Jesus added in, and the second is to love one another more than you love yourself. Helping people understand that when they're in a conflict, it means that I need to help them to see God and his will for them. I need to help them to see what the word has to say about the circumstance that they're going through and help them to mediate this, uh, or help mediate through this situation. Helping them to seek after God means that I can help them to cultivate a greater understanding of why they are doing what they're doing. We look at the word and we, we reflect the action they have with the word and help them to understand whether that is something that is sinful, whether it is not sinful. When people learn the truth about themselves through the word of God, they're able to use the Bible in future circumstances to understand how to respond to life's issues. The scripture helps them to learn to discern between healthy, God-honoring responses and hurtful responses that ignore God's word. So James provides guidance as to how we're able to discern and reason the situations that cause us to fight and quarrel with one another. So in the scripture, he asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In this passage, James is telling us that the quarrels and fights come from a corruption that we have in our own hearts, a desire or a passion that drives our actions. One theologian I read made the comment, external struggles are the result of internal struggles. And I think that this is true. This is very insightful. We know that when we're fighting with other people, we have to look within ourselves and understand that there's something going on within our own hearts that is causing this, this anger and resentment to come up. So the quarrels that we have are the result of some desire that we have in our lives and something that we expect to happen. But we believe that we're in danger of that desire going away that we're not going to get what we expect. So the response to this protection and the desire for it usually results in how we act. And that is a reflection of our own hearts. It could be as simple as just wanting some peace and quiet at the end of the day from the kids. A lot of us have that. You just want to rest and have a little bit of solitude after a long day's work. You'd be surprised at how many marital conflicts happen because of that very issue. 
Something is happening where the desires or the expectations of the person are being thwarted. It's like this. This person has this desire. This person has this desire, and they're fighting. They're just in conflict all the time because this person doesn't want to give up what they want. This other person doesn't want to give up what they want. And it's just a constant battle for that heart's desire to come about. And the only way for that to happen is for one or both people to take a step back and to be concerned, reflective about what they're, what they're wanting so, so badly. According to James, if you're in a conflict, in many cases, it's your heart's desires that you don't want to concede. And that's what we're saying here. This person has that heart's desire. This person has a heart's desire. They don't want to give it up. Our passions or our lusts are at war in us. That's an interesting comment that he makes. It's not that we're fighting with each other. We're fighting from within. The quarrels and fights that derive from our passions and those passions, the things that we're passionate about, they drive our words. They drive all of our actions. So the word passion is translated from the Greek hedone, which means pleasure. And from it, we get the word hedonism. Now, most of us know what hedonism is. We, most of us have a negative thought when we hear that word. We usually think of something that is sinful or self-indulgent. And from our innermost being, our passions, if they're not controlled, they can result in all kinds of things like boasting, covetousness, uh, a desire for malice, uh, a desire for self-promotion, for honor, jealousy, selfish, selfish ambition. All of those things come from that passion. So our passion for our own desires or the pleasure that most interests us is what drives our emotion. Because it drives our emotion, it inevitably drives our heart's desires. Now, I'm saying this again and again because we need to understand that the things that we do, the things that we say, we talked about this last week, those are reflective of who we are. Those are reflective of the heart that we, we have at that time. If we're exhibiting things that are not of the Spirit, more than likely we're exhibiting things from the world. And those are a good indication of where we stand before God at the time that we're doing them. In Luke 6:45, Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So when we desire something and we want it very badly, in many cases, we're ready to fight for it. We're ready to get into a conflict. We want to defend that passion. We might think that the battle begins with the other person, like I said before, but it actually begins within. James tells us the war begins within us. In the next verse, he goes on to say, You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The lust or desire that James is discussing here is one that is not yet possessed based off of this scripture. It's something that is still yet to be obtained. You covet and cannot obtain, you do not have it. So the phrase, so you murder, is something else that, that we need to consider here too. It's not, murder is not used in the literal sense. Some theologians comment that this phrase is defined as harassing and oppressing another person in order to get what is desired. But the thing we need to remember here is the fighting and quarreling happen because the people who are fighting have desires within that are not being met. So they fight and quarrel because they want to expect something to happen, which will inevitably meet their own needs or their own expectations. And when, that, uh, when what is wanted or expected doesn't happen, one or both people get upset. In the passage, James also says, you do not have because you do not ask. So as followers of Christ, we know that God is the one who gives generously to all of his children. In James 1, 5, we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Then when we move to James 1, 17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. One more. In Matthew 7, we read, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So we know from God's word that if we ask for something, that something is good, if that something is good, and it falls within God's desire for us, and it falls within his will, he'll provide it for us. God bestows good gifts on his children. Yet many times, rather than seeking and trusting God's guidance for this provision, rather than waiting on him, we trust the world to provide what we seek, seek after. We don't ask him for help. There are also times when we do ask for help, but we ask in the wrong way. We ask for things that fuel our selfishness or with wrong motives and evil intentions. Selfish desires are at the center of all of this. They inevitably lead to wrong actions and wrong and evil intentions. Selfish desires also lead to wrong praying. James is telling us this. James mentions that when a person selfishly desires something, when their heart is not right before or because of sinful attitudes, then they ask God for, their, for his help in achieving that desire. They ask wrongly. 
So when the heart is not right and prayers are not asked in the right way, when they're asked wrongly, this is a clear indication that there is something wrong with that person's relationship with God. Now think about that. If we're praying to God and asking for something that we know is a selfish desire and we want him to fulfill that for us, how can we assume that our relationship, our understanding through the word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit is correct? Misguided passions drive the actions of the person as well as the prayers of this person. God will not grant our petitions if they come from selfish or evil desires. To pray with the wrong motives means that we're not pleasing God. David Jeremiah, a wonderful pastor and author, writes, The Bible is clear that a driving desire for pleasure is ruinous to a person's prayer life. God does not listen to and he will not respond to a prayer that comes from a, a, from a, a heart that is requesting selfish desires. Covetousness and selfishness are an insult to God. The great thing, though, is that God has greater plans for us. His will for us is grander than we could ever imagine. I believe that God gives us, or that James gives us a solution to this problem in, in uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. He says there, but he gives more grace, therefore it, he's referring to scripture, says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, out in the community, I'm a member of a civic group called Rotary. And they have a guide that we use for interaction with, with other people. And it's called the four-way test. And that test asks the questions in all the things we think, say, and do. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And will it be beneficial to all concerned? Now, this isn't scripture, I know, but it's, there are scriptural principles that are involved here. I think what we see here is that we should always be considered, or we should always consider what is best for other people. Sometimes this can be at our own detriment, but we should always consider other people first. So when our hearts produce selfish desires and these desires result in fights and quarrels, what we need to do is orient our lives in the right direction. Recognize that selfishness that arises from unmet desires needs to be handled. And we need to determine to, uh, to evaluate those desires through the lens of Scripture. There's two authors, too, Ken Sandy and Kevin Johnson, who have a wonderful book 
titled Resolving Everyday Conflict. And in this book, they outline some of the practical things that we should do to resolve a conflict. And one thing that's great about this resource is they point back to Scripture. They help us to understand scriptural principles to help us to, to uh, work through conflict with other folks. So the first step in resolving conflict is to bring God into the situation. We tend to ignore God in the midst of conflict. But there are some things that we need to take time to consider when we find ourselves in conflict. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Is what I want glorifying to God? Is it harmful to my family or to me or to my spiritual life? Is it harmful to my physical life, my mental life, my emotional well-being? What is it? Is it possibly harmful to my family and my family's well-being? There's another author, Robert Jones, had an interesting perspective that we need to consider too. He said that the desires that James is discussing are the things that God might provide for you in some circumstances. So what he's saying here is that many of the times that we're asking and we're asking wrongly, it's not necessarily that the circumstance, the situation, what we want is the wrong thing. It's just that we're asking in the wrong way. We're placing more emphasis on obtaining this desire, which may not be a bad thing, Our heart has changed. Our focus is selfishly to obtain this desire. And we could take a step back, turn it over to God, and give God that power of determining the power that he deserves, but the power of determining whether or not this is something that he wants for us to have in our lives. So James says, you desire and do not have, you, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So sometimes the thing that we ask for is not inherently wrong but we make it sinful because of our reaction of what's happening in our hearts as we ask. The desire that causes the conflict is entrenched, it's it's established in our hearts, and we want it so badly that we want to fight and quarrel. We'll do whatever it takes to get it. So that desire or that passion dictates how we respond to other people. In this circumstance, We always have to seek the glory of God when we interact with other people. So remember in the first week what we we discussed from James 1, self-centeredness destroys righteousness. A desire for some peace and quiet at the end of the day is not necessarily a bad thing like we discussed. But when that desire becomes the, at the expense of another person, when selfishness is involved, 
That's when we have to take a step back and realize that our attitudes and our responses are dictating a sinful response toward that person and toward God. So anytime we selfishly, without the regard of another person, place our desires before his or her needs, we arrogantly make life more about ourselves than about God and others. So through God's grace, we can begin to overcome the conflicts that are within us as well as the conflicts that occur because of those conflicts within us. But God expects us in humility to come before him and ask for his help. In verse in this verse, James refers to Scripture. He's, the verse he's referencing is Proverbs 3.34. He said, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The scorner is a person who proudly turns from God because of his overwhelming desires and chooses to be friends with the world. So God gives his grace to the humble, those who come to him and acknowledge their need those that put off their selfish desires and those who let the wisdom that he can provide guide them, he'll provide them with the grace and the help that they need to get through these circumstances. So when we submit our desires to God, evaluating them with the word of God, we we take one step closer toward God, toward him. And when we reject that selfish desire, when we, when we reject the ways that we're passionate, the way that we're grabbing hold of that selfish desire, and we mortify that desire to the point that we turn it over to God, if he allows it, great. If he doesn't allow it, that's just as good. Then we are seeking him And we're putting away the ways of the world. One of the great things about the scripture, and and we read this throughout, he promises that if we seek him, he'll come close to us. Step two is to acknowledge our responsibility in the conflict. Humility is a primary step to reducing conflict with another person and within our own hearts. Mark 8, 34, um, in this passage, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We should deny selfish desires for the glory of God and because we strive to love other people sacrificially. So James tells us that God gives grace to the humble what is a requirement for grace, for the ability to be able to receive the grace of God and the help that is needed to him, his grace comes from those who are willing to humbly express their need and accept his help and his will for their lives. Grace comes when we humbly ask him for help and expect his help because he promised that he would. 
The proud won't receive anything but resistance and discipline from God. We must be willing to accept God's answer for the things that we're asking. We have to humbly submit to his will in everything, knowing that he has promised in Romans 8.28 that everything, all things work together for our good and for his glory to those that belong to the Lord. We must be willing to accept God's answer for the things that we're asking. And I I think that one of the great examples of this is Jesus when he says, not my will, but your will be done. So God in his word commands us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Others. This is in Philippians. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians tells us that no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. We're commanded to be selfless. Husband, here's a, husbands, here's a verse that uh, we should live and love by. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed for us. And we're to emulate that with our wife and our family and with others. Matthew 7, 5 has a wonderful perspective that we should always have as we're considering humility and selflessness as we go into a conflict. And there's, there's a result of this that, uh, that I use in counseling. But Matthew 7, 5 tells us that we're to take the log out of our own eye before we look at the speck in another person's eye. And there's something that I have people do, and I think it's a good exercise for all of us. Make a log list. And whenever you find that you're in a conflict with another person, sit down before you confront that other person angrily or in a sinful way. Sit down and look at all of the situations that are in your own eye, the log that you're responsible for. And then go into that conversation having realized that there's a lot of things that you're bringing into the conflict that you need to resolve. Matthew 5, 23. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping something here. The third step is to lovingly help the other person see their part in the conflict. Galatians 6.1 tells us that if someone is caught in a sinful situation, we should help them to, or help to gently restore that person, to lovingly admonish, to come alongside, and to love them enough to share with them some of the things that you see that are, are causing the conflict. Matthew 5.23 and 24 tells us that if someone has something against us, He wants us to take the first step in seeking peace. We should seek reconciliation with that person, even if we don't think that it's our own fault. If that person has done something to hurt us, we should approach that person and discuss what they've done. Matthew 18, 15, Oregon read this earlier. 
It's very clear to this point. One thing, the verse, uh, one thing in this verse that's important to understand, though, is that we should approach this person privately, one on one. We should talk about that issues. We should uh, that issue. We should lovingly admonish the things that we see are a problem, and we should be willing to accept loving admonishment too for the same things that that other person sees. The fourth step is to forgive one another. Forgiveness for the believer is not a choice. Mark eleven twenty five tells us, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And Matthew six fifteen also says, but if you do not forgive other their, others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is a requirement for believers. It brings peace in the family of God. Sometimes when we're in a conflict, it's not necessarily not necessary to approach the other person and talk with them about the issue. Sometimes we can just forgive it and let it go. And I would recommend that we do that. Determine whether or not the situation really needs to have a con- confrontation. Maybe at times, if we love the other person enough and we're not desiring our own will, our own passion, we can help the other person gain their own passion, or their passion and their will, their desire. We should step aside and be willing to forgive those people and forgive anything that might cause that conflict between the two of us. But if not, then we've got what we just read, a process that we can utilize from Matthew to where we go to that person and we talk with them about it. So as we said, forgiveness is a requirement for believers. It brings peace to the family of God. Colossians 3.13 helps us to understand how to be at peace with one another, bear with each other, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we see from Scripture that we are commanded to be selfless, yet our heart is selfish. So how do we overcome the draw of our heart to our own selfish desires? Will God ever ask us to do something that is impossible for us to do? No, the Word shows that He will not. St. Augustine once said, God gives what he demands. God in his mercy and love provides us what we need to meet what he requires of us. If he commands that we should not be selfish and self-seeking, he gives us in his grace what we need to overcome our selfish desires and be obedient to what he commands us to do. As James said, though, the requirement for us to be able to do this is to approach God in humility and ask him for our help or for his help.
And remember, too, what we learned from James 1.6, that we are not to doubt when we ask God for his help. As we humbly submit to God, he has promised that he will provide us with the help that we need. As we draw near to God, obeying his word and applying his principles to our lives, we turn our backs on worldly and selfish desires. And in turn, we weaken and have the power to overcome any power that Satan and the world have in our lives. So I believe that the, book, the verses from the book of James provide insights into various aspects of the Christian life, emphasizing our need for humility, submission to God, resisting temptation, seeking God's presence, and aligning our actions with their knowledge, the, the Scripture's knowledge of what is right. And I think with God's power, we can do all of this. But we have to put ourselves aside. We need to put our selfish desires, our sinfulness aside so that we can look clearly through the lens of Scripture and understand how God would have us to act in a particular circumstance, particularly that circumstance where we may in conflict, may be in conflict with another person. Join me as we pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you for your word. I just pray that as, if we are in conflict with another person, that we utilize your word and the ways of your word to give us that ability to be able to to be at peace with another in order to love another person in order to show you love by following your commands father we just praise you and we thank you for the mercy and goodness you always show us for the direction that you give us now father i i just would pray that our desires would become secondary to the desires that you have for us that you would give us that ability to be able to recognize through your word, through the help of your Holy Spirit, that your way is better and that we would humbly submit to what you would have us to do. Father, we're incapable of doing any of that on our own. In our sinfulness, what we want is what's predominant in our lives. And I pray your forgiveness for that. So, Father, I just pray, too, that you would give us the strength to look to you in everything that we do. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.